Two years ago, our youngest son, Joshua, who's over there drawing, uh, he turned three years old. And uh, when he turned three years old, we had a little family party for him, and we got him some gifts. And among the gifts was a little toy car. And not realizing, we didn't realize how special this little toy car would become to Joshua. Uh, the toy car, if, you, if you're familiar with the movies Cars, and then the more recent one, Cars 2, well, there's a character in that movie Cars 2 who's a British spy car, and his name is Finn McMissile. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I do better than Matt Broadway with the movie illustrations, I think. <laughs> Joshua is pretty familiar with it. Anyway, so we found Finn McMissile uh, as, as, a, as a gift for Joshua. And when he opened his present, he was just delighted and, and um, has had a wonderful time playing with Finn McMissile until one day Finn McMissile was missing. And we could not find him anywhere. Mommy, can you help? Help me find Finn McMissile. So Rhonda looked all over the house. In the bedroom, not there. In the living room, not there. Bathroom, anywhere that Joshua may likely have left a toy, not there. I joined in the search and could not find Finn McMissile anywhere. After several hours, I mean, this was a major you know, crisis for a three-year-old, so... And we had to find it. And after several hours, really almost miraculously, Rhonda was digging in, in, in Joshua's bed between a mattress and uh, the bed frame. And sure enough, there was Finn McMissile down underneath there. And she pulled it out and she brought it to Joshua. And she said, I found Finn, Finn McMissile. And his face just lit up like the bright sunshine. And it was such a delight to see because it was such a special thing uh, to him. I tell that story because uh, did you know that the God of the universe has that kind of reaction, the kind of reaction that Joshua had? Only multiply it by a hundred, multiply it by maybe a million times when one person who is outside of the family of God, as the Bible says in the passage that we're going to read in just a minute, when one person is convicted of their sins, repents before the Lord, and gives their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, if, if you want to know something about God, if you want to know what makes God super happy, it's when that happens. It's an, it's, it's an incredible thing. As um, after Matt, Pastor Matt asked if I would share this morning, I took some time to think about and pray about what I might share with us as a church. And kind of recognizing somewhat where we are, I think, as a church family, uh, recognizing that, among other things, I think we're in a in a kind of season of prayerful considering how, as a church, we might be more intentional about 
outreach. We might be more intentional about um, reaching out to folks in the in the neighborhood, but also being mindful of uh, of the needs all across the world. Uh, in a kind of prayerful season about that, and I thought that um, this message from Luke chapter 15 might be very helpful for us to move in that direction. See if we can if we can begin to grasp even just bits and pieces of how God views what what the Bible passage is going to call the lost. If we can if we can begin to see the lost through the eyes of God or through the way he sees them, I think that will really transform us and that will move us closer to whatever his will is for us, not just individually, but as a church in the area of considering the lost who are out there, in the area of um, loving the lost. Let's read Luke chapter 15, the first seven verses of this passage. Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. Probably, for most of you, pretty familiar little story that Jesus told. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. There's a lot in this little little story. And I I believe the, the main message in it for us this morning is to try to see the lost through God's eyes. And again, as I say, when we do that, I think it will transform us or begin to transform us. The the central kind of image or figure of speech or in, in this parable is someone or something that is lost. And that thing is then found and restored to its rightful owner. And it's the same theme, actually, if you continue reading in Luke 15, it's the same theme for the next little parable of the lost coin. And then the, the chapter finishes with the parable of, of the prodigal son. It's the same idea throughout that there is someone or something that's been lost and restored. Uh, and, and there is great joy when that happens. You know, I find it really fascinating that you know the Bible has many ways of talking about people who are who are not a part of God's family, who do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It has many different ways of referring to them. Sinners, uh, the unrepentant, the wicked, um, 
those who have not been reconciled to God. You can probably think of quite a few more uh, uh, names or labels for those who are not following the Lord Jesus Christ. But in this passage, the metaphor or the, the image is someone who's lost. And I think that tells us a lot about how God views people in the world. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's not an image of um, really of, of condemnation or hatred. God hates these people. It's an image of, and it's really beautiful because it's an image of someone who is supposed to belong in a certain place and for some reason, and we know the reason from the Bible is that because of the sin that's in us, that person or people have wandered away from and outside of that relationship of where they're supposed to be. And so they're lost. And salvation is all about restoring to that original relationship that God intended for us in the very first place. And so this parable gives us this image of the one who is lost. And the way I want us to uh, proceed through this so that we can begin to get some, some uh, insight into how God views those who are lost is that I'm going to take the word lost and I'm going to use each letter in that word to make, uh, to form a point. So L O S T. Now you thought, okay, good. This is going to be a short service. Um, and I could have made it like a 19 letter word, you know, and we could be here a long time. So, um, but it's only a four letter word, a good four letter word. <laughs> so lost. The first L, uh, the first letter, excuse me, is the letter L. And in this case, of course, it begins the word lost. But the word I want to emphasize here is love. L stands for love. And it's pretty obvious, but we need to explore the most important point in here is that God loves the lost. God loves the lost. We, if we're honest, maybe many of us, and, and I know that there are times when it's true for me as well, that when we think of the world out there, we don't always have a loving attitude toward the world. We often have, or we at least sometimes have, a condemning attitude. Get away from me. I don't want to be polluted by you. Um, and, and you are trying to destroy us as a church and a combative attitude. And um, we're our, our primary approach to the world is not always that of loving to the lost. And that's a conviction. This, this passage convicts me of that because that's what I see as God's main attitude here toward the lost. He loves them. It can be seen uh, in the story just by the simple fact that when the shepherd uh, in the parable, when he realizes that the, there's one of his flock that is missing, just one, he sets aside the 99, puts them uh, in a in a protected place, and don't don't get a misunderstanding of this passage here. In no way uh, would it have happened in the world of, in Jesus' world in New Testament times that um, the shepherd just 
kind of ditches the 99 and doesn't care about them. That's not what this means. It would have been very common for a shepherd to, um, to leave the 99, the rest of the flock, in the care of other shepherds, making sure that they're taken care of. But the point is that he does that and his, his, his focus is on one thing. I've got to go find that one sheep that's lost. Why? Because there's the love for that sheep to bring it back. It's, it's an absolute priority. But the love that God has for the lost is also seen in, uh, if we look closely at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read that, those two verses again. These two verses set up the scene for, for the parable that Jesus said. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, lo- to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was popular among people that maybe we would, we would have, I don't know if we would have rebuked him, but among people that were of shady reputation. We'll put it that way. The Bible says here that uh, these were tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was actually liked by these people. He was popular with them. He, he loved them. He spent time with them. These are not the only people that he spent time with. But he intentionally took time to be with them, to listen to them, to understand them, to know who they were. He welcomed people into his life who, like this, these tax collectors and sinners, who were not what we would call good people. Uh, let's, not, let's not pretend that in, in some way that oh, these were really good people underneath and Jesus just kind of saw that that nobody else could see and he was bringing out the good in them. That's not what it means. The tax collectors were aligned with the enemy, Rome, and they were extorting people and cheating people on taxes, among all kinds of other things. The sinners, it refers to here, were simply people who had a reputation. In other words, everybody knew that these people lived a, a terrible lifestyle of one form or another. It was not a hidden thing. These were not good people, okay? They were not going to pretend that they were. They had, they lived very disreputable lifestyles. And, Jesus was willing to come into their world. He wasn't afraid, like maybe I am sometimes, that um, that their lifestyle or their thoughts and attitudes might tarnish my reputation. Jesus didn't. He wasn't afraid of that at all. I don't want to hang out with that person because eh, I don't want to be associated with them. He wasn't afraid that somehow they would corrupt him. Okay? Now, of course, you say, well, you know, Jesus had an unfair advantage. He was sinless, and uh, he was God himself, and that's very true. So I think there's a certain level where we do have to be careful about um, watching ourselves and watching uh, everyone within the body of Christ to be accountable that we don't fall into sin, because as we all know, that's that is a possibility. But Jesus did not allow this to, uh, to prevent him from being with 
the tax collectors and the sinner, people who are just bad people. He didn't judge them either as being uh, unworthy of hearing the good news of salvation. It's like you're not even... You're, I don't know if, if you would ever have this kind of attitude, um, but I find maybe in, in some, some of my deepest, darkest moments, I might have an attitude of saying, you know, you're such a bad person, you don't even deserve to hear the good news. You don't even deserve to be a part of God's family. I would hate that that would be an attitude for any of us, but perhaps somewhere... Uh, that may come out. Jesus had none of that kind of attitude. And finally, he didn't, he didn't consider these people to be the, the kind of people that you had to get cleaned up first and be in church and say the right things and have the right kind of clothes on first. Then you can have, I'll give you the gospel. Then I'll teach you about it. He brought the message of salvation to them as they were. And all of this adds up to the L in lost, and that is that Jesus simply loved them as they were. It does not mean that he accepted their sin as okay by any means, but he loved them as who they were and realized that the message of salvation has to come to people as they are. L. So the O in the word lost stands for outside. Those who are lost are outside the protective fold, if you will, of the shepherd. They are outside the protective flock of the shepherd. In God's eyes, they are outside the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are outside, uh, in the parable, they're outside the protective custody, if you will, of the flock. Now, as Jesus was speaking this parable to, uh, to those that were listening to him, of course, they lived in the first century in a world where shepherding was very commonplace. So there were a lot of things understood by both Jesus and those to whom he was talking that we probably don't always get because last time I knew there weren't a whole lot of shepherds in our church here. I don't know if any of you have ever kept sheep or not. Um, certainly possible, but there's a, it's certainly not a really common part of our society today. And one, one of those very important things that we might miss is the fact that when a sheep went astray, a sheep was in very grave danger. When a sheep left the flock, it was in serious danger. Um, and that was for a couple of reasons. One, when a sheep goes astray, a sheep does not, in its mind, have the ability to realize, oh, I'm lost. I need to somehow find my way back to the flock. It's almost like a dog will do that or even a cat or other have a kind of instinctive way of doing that. Sheep do not do that. They have no mental capacity to understand that they wandered away. And this creates a, a situation of grave danger for them. They do not realize what danger they are in. Uh, there's a story that Dr. Tim Laniak of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary shares in his book called uh, While Fle Shepherds Watch Their Flocks. And the story of a man in England, his name is Jeremy, 
And he was on his way home from work one day. He was walking home from work on a, on a road. And on the one side of the road, I think it was on his left side, there was a river uh, that ran by that was down in a steep embankment from the road. And as Jeremy went along, he looked across the river on the other side, and there was a beautiful field meadow over there with a flock of sheep and some shepherds uh, watching over them. And as Jeremy looked over there, he could see that there was one sheep who was had wandered away from this, uh, this f- f- flock, and it was heading toward the river, the steep embankment of the river. And Jeremy just kind of stood there and watched as the sheep kept going and going toward the river. And so he began to get a little anxious about the sheep, recognizing the danger that he would be in. So he began to kind of try to get the attention of the shepherds. Hey, 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 sheep. They didn't see him. They didn't hear him or anything. So Jeremy stared in horror as this sheep approached the very steep riverbank, went headlong over the riverbank, and tumbled down into the river and was just kind of wallowing and grasping in the in the water. Well, like the hero that he would become, Jeremy put down his things and dashed down the riverbank, jumped in the water, swam over, grabbed the sheep, dra- drug him out. He probably weighed like three times as much with all the wool soaked up with the water, pulled him out of the water up onto the bank and brought him back uh, to the shepherds. Incidentally, uh, this was a—it's a true story, and it's—and it, as you can, you can tell, it's a pretty powerful experience in Jeremy's life, and in God used it. Uh, he was a Christian already, but God used that experience to call Jeremy to become a pastor. And I can think you can see maybe why. Um, but the point I wanted to make is that sheep will do that. They will come right to the edge of danger and be completely oblivious of how much danger they are in. Sheep do not go and look for their shepherd. They don't have any way of doing it. And sadly, in the world of shepherds, when a, a sheep gets lost, gets removed from the flock, there are only two very unhappy alternatives uh, if that sheep is never found. And I'll try to soften the description because there are kids in here. But the first option is that the sheep will just continue wandering in the wilderness for a couple of days or weeks, and it will eventually succumb to um, starvation or dehydration or the cold. The other option is that eventually the sheep will be found by a predator, usually a wolf, and become a meal for that wolf. Those are the options, and the sheep are clueless. They have no idea. Um, Bible scholar J.A.T. Robinson once said, there is nothing more helpless than a lost sheep except a lost sinner. Nothing more helpless. You know, we live in a world and in a society that tells us a a lie. And that lie is that there are many different ways, as long as you're sincere, there are many different ways to come to God. And our, our culture tells us that you don't have to worry so much about everybody else because eventually... Uh, you know, they're going to find their way to God. We receive that message in a lot of different ways. But this parable 
tells me and, and other places in the Bible that when God sees a sinner who's lost, they are in very real, present danger. Do we grasp that sense? Do we understand how God sees the reality of those who are lost? I think somehow in our culture, we've, that's been dulled or we've lost that. And it's important for us to regain the urgency that the Lord has when those who are outside the flock are not found. L-O-S. S stands for searched for or sought after. Christ, the Good Shepherd, searches after the sheep that are lost. This is just a beautiful truth. There's a great passage of Scripture in the, in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. I'm not going to read it, but in that chapter, uh, the Lord is speaking to his people who have gone astray uh, and they are in the exile, a terrible time during the period of God's people, the Israelites. And in chapter 34, uh, God begins with a, basically an indictment of the leaders of Israel, and he tells them, hey, you are supposed to be the shepherds of my people, and you've not been doing your job. In fact, you've been doing the opposite, he says. You've been taking advantage of my people for your own personal gain. And he condemns the shepherds for that. But then, later on in the chapter, in verse 11, he says, "So, well, he says, my people therefore are scattered Then God says in verse 11, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I am going to look for my sheep. I am going to seek them out. It's a really beautiful passage of Scripture. You know, Jesus was sent into the world to be the Good Shepherd. That's what he says in John chapter 10. I believe with In his mind, the image from Ezekiel that God himself would seek out the lost sheep, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am here to do and to fulfill what Ezekiel prophesied to the people so long ago. I am here to seek out those that were lost. And he says the exact same thing in Luke chapter 19. The end of the story of Zacchaeus, which you're all familiar with. Jesus says, the Son of Man came to, do you know the rest of it? To seek and save the lost. If you want to know what Jesus' mission was in the world, why he came, there it is, right there. As the good shepherd, he went to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Back to the parable in Luke 15. Uh, you know, this the shepherd who represents God, the Lord, leaves again the 99 in a protective uh, situation and puts all his energies into going after the sheep. It, they become The lost sheep becomes priority number one. There's another story that uh, Tim Laniac tells of a lady, an older lady named Mrs. Arif from the country of Jordan. 
Mrs. Arif belonged to a family that had been shepherds for many, many generations. All of her children were now working for the government in Jordan, but Mrs. Arif uh, maintained a very small flock of sheep. And one day when Mrs. Arif uh, brought her sheep home, she recognized or realized that one of her sheep, sheeps was missing. And immediately Mrs. Arif went to the other shepherds that were in her community and she began to ask them, have you seen my sheep? Have you, have, is perhaps there an extra one in your flock somewhere? And the answer, no, no, we haven't seen anything. Asking and asking, is there perhaps, have you seen the remains of, of an animal that you know could be my sheep? No, we haven't seen anything. Day after day, she continued to ask and no, no, we haven't found anything. Days turned into weeks as she continued to ask. And weeks turned into months as she continued to ask the same question. And finally, two months later, Mrs. R.F. noticed a, a, a flock of sheep being driven through her village, um, tended by a, a relatively young man. And as was now her habit, Mrs. R.F. approached the young man as the shepherd, and she said, have you... Have you seen an extra sheep? It could be mine. And immediately, before she was even done speaking, one of the heads of one of the sheep popped up in instant recognition of Mrs. Arif's voice. And the two were reunited. That's a wonderful picture of our God searching for those who are lost relentlessly. And of the beauty of homecoming when a sinner is restored. There's another quick story about a shepherd boy in, in uh, Egypt who, uh, who realized that he had lost a sheep as well. And he searched all day for it. And finally, he could not find it. And he brought the sheep home. And um, when he got home, his fa- he told his father, you know, I've lost, I can't find the sheep. I've looked everywhere for it. And this seems kind of harsh, but it shows you the seriousness of what it means to lose a sheep. The father said to the boy, you go back out there right now and you do not come home until you have that sheep. It's just, it seems kind of harsh to us, but that is how critical it was to have sheep restored to the flock. That's the motivation. That's how God searches for those who are lost. L, O, S, and finally, T. T stands for treasured. God treasures lost sheep who are found. He treasures them. The Lord Jesus Christ treasures the sheep that he, is, he finds and restores. Verses 5 and 6 in Luke chapter 15 say this picture of the shepherd And when he has found it, the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I have to confess that uh, when something like this happens, I'm not always so quick to rejoice. I'm sometimes quick to get angry or frustrated at that lost sheep. But notice what the shepherd did not 
do. When he, when he finds the sheep, the shepherd did not, uh, he didn't scold the sheep. You stupid sheep, what are you do? How can you wander? I've been out here looking for days for you. Finally, I found it. Look at you. You're just sitting here eating grapes or whatever. What kind of, you know, yeah, like that. The shepherd doesn't do that. I have to confess that there are times when I might be like that, you know, but as I learn how God views and he treasures the sheep when he finds them, he doesn't have any of those reactions. Instead, well, he treasures it. He picks it up and puts it on his shoulder and carries it home, rejoicing. He also doesn't make the sheep, you know, all right, get going. It might be a mile or two back to home. And uh, he doesn't make the sheep uh, walk or run all the way back to home. He picks it up and he carries it back home. What a beautiful picture of how God treasures lost sheep and takes them home. You know, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one, we have turned every one to his own way. You know, you might not be a lost sheep. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But we all have to remember that there was a time when you were a lost sheep and when God sought after you and He found you and He picked you up on His shoulders and He brought you back to where you should be in His loving family. And if we can remember that as God's children and members of His family, if we can remember that and see the lost through that memory that we were lost, then I think that we allow God the space to do that for others as well. We, we allow God the space to be as creative in, in, in finding others as He was with you in finding you. God, Christ, treasures those who are lost and then they are found. L-O-S-T. The lost are loved greatly by God. They are outside the protection and in grave danger. S, God searches for them actively. And T, He treasures those who are found. In 2008, a singer-songwriter, Christian singer-songwriter, guy by the name of Brandon Heath wrote a song that really summarizes everything that I've been talking about this morning. And it really captures uh, what it means to absorb Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. The title, I'm not going to sing the song, I'm not going to recite the song, (laughs) but the song's title was simply, Give Me Your Eyes. Give Me Your Eyes. I believe that Perhaps as a church, we are in a season where that can be our prayer. And specifically thinking about a a lost world. Can it be our prayer as a church, as a family of Doolin's Grove, to pray, Lord, 
Give me your eyes for the lost. If you will, let's pray that together right now. Oh Lord, we're kind of awed by the great love that You have for the lost. And remember that it is a love that allowed and, and, and sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And it is a love that drew us to You. We just pray that You will give us Your eyes for the lost. And You will give us Your heart for the lost. And that we will be open. And even as I stand here now, I don't know all of what that will mean exactly, but let us be open as a church to have Your eyes for the lost and Your heart for the lost. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.